Welcome into episode 65 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I'm happy to be joined once again by my friend, Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, we are very, very, very happy to have you back. How are you doing? Jack, I'm, I'm great. I'm sitting over here pumping my fist through that entire intro because I'm just so fired up to actually sit down and have some free time to talk about some Kentucky basketball. Well, with the last couple times we've had you on, it was like while you're driving back from a game on the phone, you know, just having our headsets on, we can't see each other through this beautiful Zoom. <laughs> you know, can't, you know, we've had David on a couple different times on and off. Like we haven't had a, a just, you know, a good little sit down sources say podcast in quite some time. So uh, we're very, very glad to have you back as always. Uh, David, unfortunately I texted him. He said that he's just absolutely swamped today. We're, we tried to fit this in, in a very tight window uh, following the UK pro day that happened this past weekend. And then leading up to big blue madness that happened this weekend, we're going to try to do a post UK pro day episode today. And then obviously a, a post big blue madness slash kind of season preview of sorts uh, after Big Blue Madness and, and leading up to the season that starts literally a week from tomorrow, which is just blows my freaking mind, Sean. I cannot believe that college basketball season is actually here a week from tomorrow. No, no, and I keep telling myself too, it's hard to believe that college football is pretty much, you know, on the back end of the schedule. So it's crazy to think that we're that far into that, and now we're we're here. Usually, we would already have three or four weeks of college basketball with Big Blue Madness and all that, but. Uh, at least we're getting it. That's the good news. Yeah, and I know there are a lot of people that are like, man, should we even have a season right now? Is you know, is it best to postpone? Is it best? But the way I kind of see it is think of like what you just said, college football season. I mean, we have three games left in the college football season. Like UK's football schedule is almost done. And, you know, we were even a couple weeks after some of these other schools. So, uh, you know, the ACC, Big 12, the, you know, some some others that, that got started before the SEC did. So we're already almost done with all that. Yeah, there's been some ups and downs and some roller coasters and a bunch of cancellations and all that. But I have a feeling if we would have postponed just as much, it, it just creates more you know possibilities for issues down the road you know with this with college basketball season I have a feeling you know if things have to get paused a couple games in or if things get postponed later on down the road I feel like at least getting the season started getting those three games knocked out on Wednesday Friday Sunday and then Champions Classic just a couple days after that if we can get those four games knocked out to start the season I mean we're already almost on that cusp of of being able to go straight into into conference play if need be if things get chaotic and hectic so really we have like one week where we just got to hope everything goes well and and at that point you know the majority of of the non-conference schedule is over and that's the thing too with the non-conference i think that's what's going to be tricky is if you do have cancellations how how large is your window to you know re play those games or make them up or postpone them until like a later date because once you get into conference play jack i I don't see any non-conference play outside of the sec big 12 challenge happening just because the dates are so close together so like if you lose one of these games uh kind of a small time frame to get it made up yeah yeah so well, I think a week from tomorrow, we, you know, when we finally get this season tipped off, we'll learn a lot more about this process and the things, things are going to be a lot, you know, a lot 
clearer at that point. Um, so at this point, we're just going to do whatever we can. We're going to be as excited and optimistic as we could possibly be until they physically tell us that we don't have games to watch and, and enjoy. So uh, until that time comes, we're going to preview this season and enjoy enjoy breaking down what is going to be a freaking awesome, awesome season, awesome team based on what we saw at UK Pro Day. So Pro Day happened last weekend. To, to, you know, Was it Thursday Thursday evening? Yeah, yeah, Thursday night. And it was a, you know, we got individual drills. We got testing. We got, um, you know, th- three on three, four on four, five on five scrimmages, all in front of what Calipari said was 80 uh, NBA personnel, which, I mean, just to be able to have an event of that magnitude on national television, 80 NBA personnel watching again, a massive recruiting tool for Kentucky to use moving forward. They just left the NBA bubble, uh, you, you know, with all the successes that we got out of Tyler hero and Jamal Murray and, you know, Anthony Davis, obviously winning the title, all those guys, and then go straight into leading up to this college basketball season, getting, you know, yet another display, uh, a national display on our, on our television screens. I mean, Calipari is, you know, he, he's definitely doing it right in terms of, of marketing and branding this this uh, this program. Yeah, and he gets the NBA draft tomorrow night too. So, I mean, you, you got that coming up this week where you have Big Blue Madness and are on national TV again for an event that's not a game. Uh, so all the positive PR right now, you're, you're fresh off a of signing day where you sign three guys. I mean, it, all good news right now around the U.K. basketball program, and now we just have to uh, – Keep it clean until next Wednesday, where they host Morehead State. We actually have game time and TV network for that now. Jack UK six, released six p.m. S- yeah, SEC network, and then uh, I think the Friday one six p.m. SEC network, and then they play on Sunday on ESPN at one. So oh man, it's uh, you're starting to get once we once I saw the schedule and now that I see times next to it in TV it's starting to become real to me that we're about to get a lot of college basketball, even if there are cancellations and we know there will be, mm-hmm. but there's still going to be so much basketball around that Thanksgiving and that weekend going into after Thanksgiving that I, I'm excited about it. And I can't wait to see exactly what this team does. And pro day was just a small sample size of what I think we're really going to get to see pretty soon. Well, let's jump right into it. We're talking about UK pro day. I personally came away just absolutely just shocked at you know i I, we've talked about this on on this show a lot i have very very high expectations for this team i think it's going to be a damn good basketball team one of the most complete from top to bottom we've seen at kentucky you know i think it's not as good as a 2014-15 platoon team but we're getting on that level of depth and just overall talent from top to bottom um you know so I'm, i'm interested to know what your initial thoughts were watching pro day um, you know, seeing some of the scrimmages and, and, you know, obviously some of the individual drills, you know, the shooting drills, how BJ Boston shot, you know, what you liked about Dante Allen shooting, you know, all those specifics. But really, when we finally got to see those, those scrimmages there at the end, who kind of stood out to you? The one thing that stands out to me the most just from watching it, and it's just an overall thing, is just their length. You, we've, we've read about it. We've talked about it. But when you got to see it, and you got to see just how long this team is. It, it kind of, I mean, it just blew me away with the length and versatility that they have. I loved the lineups that they went with. And, you know, you actually grabbed the, the screen recording from the scrimmage Sunday night at Rupp Arena, and the same lineups were there with uh, Jackson at the four, with Sar at the five, and then with uh, Askew, Boston Clark. I, I Honestly, Jack, I think that's going to be the five starters 
on that opening day against Moorhead State, especially with Keon Brooks being limited through the preseason. I just don't see them forcing him into a role at the four. So I think that he may come off the bench, depending on exactly what happens over the next seven days. But to your question of what stood out to me, Olivier Sar has a much better face-up game than what I thought he had. I thought that that really stood out to me, too. Yeah. And I think he's going to be really good into uh, those sprint out, run out ball screens and that pick and pop around the 15, around the 15 foot mark of the elbows of the free throw line. I, I really like his game. And honestly, I'm surprised with how well him and Isaiah Jackson fit together. I was interested in seeing how that would work, but they look really, really good. They flow together on the floor. But the thing that I come away with is, man, the options that they have at the two, three, and four, even at the one, if they want to move Terrence Clark to the one. That's what stood out to me the most is really Cal has a limitless – foul trouble will not be a problem with this right. team. Like, you can just move pieces around. I still think that late in games Terrence Clark's going to be running the point because just because of that statistic that Cal has come out and said, he leads the team in paint touches. Yeah. That's why I think that Terrence Clark will be running the point in the final five, six minutes of games. But, man, look at the options Cal has with this roster. Yeah, and I, I really do like that. That what you talked about with the with the foul trouble because you know there's so many times that it would be Nick Richards gets two in the first five minutes of last year's game, or even the year before when it was you know things were tight. You know they had a lot of scholarship players, but the rotation was cut almost immediately, and and you know one of those main core rotation pieces gets you know gets an early foul trouble, and it was you know an immediate uh oh. Like this is not going to end well for for this team because you know they just were so limited before. Right now, you I mean you go from top to bottom of the roster, and you know we we mentioned this on on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we I guess we got to see it, you know, with with pro day and then some of these other practice footages and and you know highlight tapes that they're putting out right now is Jacob Toppin is a guy that you know is probably in that nine and ten eleven spot right now technically in the rotation. But he's a guy that he got legitimate D1 minutes last year as a freshman. He's a guy that you could put in right now and contribute. Dante Allen is a guy that's probably in that 10 or 11 spot as well. You saw him on pro day come in and, and immediate confidence, you know, jacked up three or four three-pointers in a row and drilled them. I, I haven't personally seen him that confident since, you know, his his breakout senior year. I mean, we haven't obviously gotten to see him since that, but just – watching behind the scenes and you know we haven't seen that level of confidence from the time he was actually on the court last time in terms yeah. of building and, and rehabbing and all that and and Toppin is a guy that I think that we've all said his, you know his impact I still think will be far greater down the road for sure at Kentucky absolutely. but I will I will say this too Jack he's better and further along than what I thought he would be just from what we saw in pro day with some of the things you know of course he's if he runs to the rim and stuff, and the way that they're playing him in those post drills, where they, you know, had the two mats and they had him posting and finishing with contact and things like that, you know what? I doubt he did a lot of that at Rhode Island. I doubt he's done a lot of that in his career anywhere. So you see, I think that's going to be the biggest thing with him is just uh, his athleticism is off the chart. And when you have that type of athleticism, if you need a guy to play seven, ten minutes a game, man, what a great luxury to have that you can bring him off the bench or wherever you bring him from with college experience on this roster. But, man, I'm I'm so excited to see exactly what this team does. Uh, I, I just keep – now that we've got to see Isaiah Jackson in some form, uh, you start to see why so many people have praised him. And then you had Cal on national TV say, ooh, that kid's going to be really good or that kid's going to be so good. The <laughs> fact that he said that line – 
that's, that tells you that it's not some BS thing with him. Yeah. Like he said that to where the entire world could hear it. Yeah. And he knew and it wasn't, it wasn't like Isaiah's a guy that he's going to be very good. It was, he watched a play and went, Holy crap, that guy's going to be so good. You know, that was an immediate yeah. reaction. That wasn't a, Oh, I need to keep, you know, building this hype or build this buzz. That was a, this is something I've been seeing over and over and over again. And that was my immediate reaction. That's like us watching a, you know, Sky Clark in an open run and going, Oh baby, that was, that was just nuts. Oh man. That was a crazy, you know, fill in the blank that, you know, it was, that was a a live immediate reaction of, wow, my player is going to be very, very good. down the road. He is. And, and honestly, I'm to the point that I thought he would be there two years, but with all the hop, and if he lives up to it and just you look at his numbers and stuff from the pro day and just his measurables and everything, he's got first round written all over him, Jack. Potential lottery pick if he is able to fit and fill into that role the way now that we expect him to. But I will say this, too. I think B.J. Boston pushes for a top two pick. I, I literally think that he has potential to be a top two pick. Like, just just watching him, he's so smooth. Uh, I know they broke down his shot and said it needs to be more consistent with his feet and things like that, but man, it is beautiful. It is pure, and uh, I, I just I can't wait to see. And then two, those two going against one another, Boston and Clark. How much better is that going to make both of those guys? They they were matched up together some in the five on five, but in the other drills, it was against one another. Yeah, that right there is what I think is going to be the big thing for them because you know that those two are pushing one another and just going to benefit from it. They're never. My thing is, is is B.J. Boston going to go up against anybody this season in college basketball that's better than Terrence Clark? And is Terrence Clark going to go up against a perimeter player better than B.J. Boston? Not many times. I think that I think you hit that on the the, the head perfectly because they complement each other so well that B.J. Boston is the finesse, pure, quick scorer. Terrence Clark is the long, rangy, you know, slithery, quick you know, guy, the, the, the guy that's going to beat you off the dribble and, and, and attack the rim that, you know, it, when you look at BJ Boston, okay, you have to defend the dude that's arguably the best at, you know, I think he's going to be one of the best at, at driving to the, driving to the rim and, and finishing at the basket this year in college basketball. And I think BJ Boston is going to be one of the best perimeter scorers. So you have perimeter score versus, you know, slasher, you know, very drive heavy type type guard. Those two going against each other, they're going to pick up little individual things off of one another. And, you know, not only on the offensive side, but defending, you know, knowing how to defend a guy with NBA length and NBA quickness, NBA speed, you know, those type of things. I mean, it's just – the way those two go up against each other in practice, I mean, I, you can already tell how they have, you know, how they have kind of built off of have off of each other and complement each other already just so well. And uh, I mean, man, it's it's just so exciting to think of the possibilities. I mean, but, but the the start of that argument was that that BJ Boston was going to be a top two pick, and and I mean, I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from the whole event was okay. BJ Boston, watching him in high school, watching him, you know, conducting interviews with him, traveling to see him play at, you know, Peach Jam, EYBL events, high school events at Sierra Canyon. You know, I've seen a lot of high school, a lot of high school BJ Boston. I have hyped him up on this show. I've hyped him up in my writing. You know, every outlet that I've possibly been able to, I've hyped him up as, hey, this is a can't miss legitimate player. So there was almost like that nervousness of, 
is this the kid that you know is is he just going to be in a high school standout was he or is he going to actually be the Kentucky standout that we have been hyping him up to be so long and it was almost like a a breath of fresh air like a sigh of relief that okay yeah this kid this kid is what we have hyped yeah. him up to be he is that good he really is he, he he is and the thing that I like about both of those perimeter guys is they they play with a pace and it's not the same pace all the time like you can you, there's a, there's a thing in in basketball jack I know where you 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 hear go hard go hard they play with a pace with the ball though that I like on the perimeter when they catch it it's not constant go uh, and I think you're kind of seeing that you know they got into their circle series some their circle set they I love the thing that stood out to me the most every single time we get access to an event like that is the attention to detail that John Calipari has from a coaching standpoint uh, the whole theory of that he just rolls the ball out. Yeah, I, I know that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of been dead for a long time, honestly, because of events like this where you get to see it. And if you if you understand anything about this game, you saw that he was breaking things down, and he's been doing this. And to be at this point with this team, he broke down their entire half court offense on national TV into sections, and you got to see why those guys learned to play with the pace the way NBA guys do. Uh, you know the Jamal Murray's coming off the pin downs and things like that. They their their basketball IQ is so much greater after they leave Kentucky, and you're already getting to see that they already have an, a high IQ. And now we just have to see what it progresses to as the season goes along. That that's what I'm looking forward to the most with those both those perimeter guys is what do they look like in February and March after they've had three or four or five months into the program with this uh, with this system and everything. Because uh, man, they're so much fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking, you know, kind of sticking with the guard play, I, I am kind of interested to see what your thoughts were on the starting point guard spot because in some of these early highlight tapes and, and you know, what we've seen in these early practice footage, you know, bits, but were, were that Devin Askew has kind of stood out as the on as the starter based on what we've seen thus far. But I think a lot of the arguments were that, you know, reading, you know, reading other, uh, you know, media analysts, you know, their writing and, and, you know, listening to the fans, there was a lot of buzz about Davion Mintz after that, that pro day. And I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where you're leaning for that spot right now. Well, and two, and, and even Cal in his tweet Sunday night, he mentioned that Davion hit a lot of shots. Like he threw that in there. Uh, I, I do think that as of right now, I think Askew will start day one, just given that he's been getting the most run that we've seen with yeah. that group. I mean, you have to think that that's the starters just by the grouping that they've been in. Uh, and two, honestly, even if Mintz is the better guy right now, I still think that Askew might start just because I think Cal might like having a guy like Mintz come off the bench that's a veteran to come in and kind of you know pace things and slow things down or maybe speed things up if need be. Uh, I think they're so good around Askew or around Mintz with the perimeter and with Sar, that I don't think it's necessarily a big deal right now of who you play. And we may know by the time that Kansas game gets here which of the two is you know further along. I think what Cal's doing right now, though, is I think that, honestly, Askew will get the starting job because I think he knows that at some point it needs to be Askew mm-hmm. late in the season. And then you have Mintz there as well as, as you know, as a safe – a safety net that you know you're what you're getting from him. Uh, I will go with Askew as a starter, but man, I think both those guys are going to be very good as the season goes along, and I think both are capable. And the thing is, too, I think you can play on both together, and I think you will see that at some points. I think you're going to see a lineup at some point that features Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, 
Clark and Boston with a guy like Sar or a guy like Jackson. I think you're going to see that some. I mean, gosh, it, just the, the possibilities of these lineups. And we, we've talked about, um, you know, we, we've – we, we talked about this before, but there's a shooting lineup if Cal wants one. There's a length lineup. There's a speed lineup. There's an athleticism lineup. There's a, a you know, leadership slash, you know, veteran lineup. Have you, you know, experience lineup. There are just so many different possibilities with this roster that we really haven't seen in in so long. I mean, there have been a couple – you know, a, a couple teams that have, have been able to have one or one or two different, you know, different lineups and have been versatile with, with, you know, in terms of that, but just the, the categories that this team covers and checks boxes on are just, I mean, I, I genuinely haven't seen this. And in, in, I mean, we've only seen this probably maybe once or maybe twice, uh, you know, in the, in the Calipari era outside of this one. I mean, yeah, the 2014-15 team, but I mean, you have to look really hard to find a more complete, deep, versatile roster than that we've seen this, this year. And I mean, I think a lot of those, um, I, I think a lot of that was kind of emphasized in these these measurements that we saw. I mean, look, Isaiah Jackson, <laughs> reading his <laughs> reading his chart, reading the numbers and 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 uh, you know strength and agility drill you know, numbers that he got testing results. He, I think he might be the fastest player on the team. I think he actually is at six foot 10, 207 pounds. I think Isaiah Jackson is the tallest player on or the, the fastest player on the team. He led the team. He has a t- uh, team best 10.85 second lane agility drill and a team best 3.21 second, three quarter sprint time. He gets up and down the court. He gets, he gets three quarters of the way down the court. Sean, faster than any of Kentucky's guards. He gets down there faster than Terrence Clark, faster than Devin Askew, faster than Davion Mintz, faster than B.J. Boston. Hell, faster than, you know, you know Keon Brooks, faster than who? I mean, Cameron Fletcher. He is the fastest player on the team as UK's, start, you know, one of their premier big men. I mean, I, it just – it just blows my mind some of the the, the numbers and, and testing results and measurables that we got out of Isaiah Jackson in particular. Yeah, I, looking at those numbers too. You know, I, I texted you and I told you I said it blows my mind the 185 pound bench. You know how some of them, you know, no reps, one rep, two reps, but then you look and you see it's guys that have been in a program, in a collegiate strength and conditioning program. Davion Mintz with 14 reps, Olivier Saar with 12. So that stands out to you, and then you look and you see, you know, B.J. Boston, zero. Uh, Terrence Clark with one. Uh, Isaiah Jackson with one. But then you look at all the other numbers, and that's where you see, you know, they're not putting a ton of stock in how many times you rep 185 pounds because how many times do you do that in a basketball game anyhow? Like you're you're looking more at the, the vertical, the lane agility, the three-quarter court sprint, the shuttle run. By the way, isn't Askew's shuttle run, isn't that a U.K. combine record or pro day record? He beat Devin Booker's pro day record back in 2014 yeah isn't that nuts and then yeah and then when you look at the verticals i mean jacob toppins max vertical 42 and a half it is non-step was 32 and a half but then and then you look here though and you look at uh let's see here davion mintz 30 30. for his non-step but then 39 for his max it's a huge difference yeah and stuff that then it makes up some ground with where you see his max vertical compared to some other guys. So I'm starting to think that Davion Mintz is a 
lot better athlete than I think we all thought he was when we watched him on tape. I think that he's going to actually surprise us a little bit, Jack, when we see him take the floor with some things that he can do as far as athleticism. I mean, look at – you go across the board with his numbers, 30-inch no-step no vertical, 39-inch max vertical, team-high 185-pound bench, 11.31-second uh, lane agility, 3.37-second uh, three-quarter sprint, and then 2.82-second shuttle run. We're all in, the, like, the top five of of the team. And, I mean, just his, his pure measurables with, at, um, you know, six, three-and-a-half – in shoes, you know, pushing that 6'4 range, 196 pounds. He's stout, you know, solid wingspan, you know, solid standing reach. Hand size is fine. I mean, he measures out to be a pretty he does. stout, solid freaking basketball player. Can I tell you the most mind-blowing thing from this entire chart, though? Yeah. And I just keep looking at it. Like if – and we've, we've shaken hands with Dante, but – I'm starting to wonder if I need to go back and shake his hand again just so I can get a normal handshake in. Like when you look at his hand length, 10.25 inches, and his hand width is 11.5 inches. Like and that, how do you have a – And that's confirmed numbers from UK. That's not unofficial. Yeah. Confirmed. Like that's literally like a glove. I mean that's <laughs> I mean that's like a mitt on your hand. Like that's there's And there's nobody that's even near that. Like none of these guys. Sar – Jackson, none of them are even near his hand size. And his like, wing, is this uh, well, his wingspan isn't is second on the team, tied with Isaiah Jackson behind Olivier Saar, and it's only a, an inch <laughs> shorter than Olivier Saar. The dude measures <laughs> out to be a damn good like. He, right, and, he, know, he, he does, and all of there's not a single guy on this on this roster that you know like when Tyler Hero had his wingspan, you know, the wingspan talk. Everybody said, oh, he has a negative wingspan. That's horrible for his long-term basketball future, and it, and that's never a good sign. There wasn't – and obviously that was that just, you know, we can tell that that's stupid. But there isn't a single thing on this entire thing that makes you go, ooh, that's that's rough. And, I mean, yeah, I guess the only thing you could say is B.J. Boston zero reps on the, on the bench press. I mean, th- those are the only things that you could possibly, you know, possibly think about as being – you know, questionable things is that all of the incoming freshmen ask you, Boston, Clark, uh, Cameron Fletcher, and Isaiah Jackson. Isaiah Jackson, all all five of them had two or less. And I guess Lance Ware's the only guy that had you know multiple reps at seven. So, um, I mean, that's something that probably you know. But, but I mean, they're in a strength UK strength and conditioning program. By the end of the season, if they could get to that four, five, six range, you know. And they will. And they will. That's fine. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, you you look at guys like, uh, just throwing them out here, Riley Welch, you know, six bench, six reps, 185. I mean, these are guys that have been in the same strength and conditioning program. You're going to see results improve there. I don't think that there's a, you know, an emphasis on that right now. Uh, But just looking at this, there's another guy too that, you know, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be on this team. Uh, but Lance Ware, when you just look at him, I think that he projects to be a very good player in this program, Jack. I, I just think that he's a guy that if he sticks around long enough, I think he'll have a huge, huge impact. I think that Cal likes what he has. And, too, I want to bring this up, too. I think the one of the most interesting things about Pro Day was when they interviewed Jay Lucas, and he brought up that you have to not only recruit the guys you're trying to bring in, you have to recruit your own guys now with the transfer rule and everything Absolutely. going into effect. And I think that – you look at guys like Cameron Fletcher, you know Lance Ware, and these guys that you just really you don't really know where what their fit and what their role is going to be right away this season just because there's so many pieces. 
but I think it's vital that they keep all these guys because I think that they've got a really good group that they got a couple of guys. I don't think their impact will be great this season, but I think their impact could be large next year or the year after that. And I think that that was, uh, I think that was Jay already showing his, you know, mind and his brilliance too, that he's ahead of it. And I think Kentucky's trying to get ahead of it too, as well as you want to keep all these guys happy because you know, at some point they're going to help you. Yeah. Well, the three guys that are, that fit that, that category and, and are in that mold are, uh, you know, Dante Allen with the, you know, and I think it's just in that three, four range with, with all these guys, Dante Allen, Cameron Fletcher and Lance Ware, the guys that you got to really, you know, not worry about, but those are the guys that cream rises to the top. Who is going to be the guy that, you know, are they, you know, are they all going to be patient enough to stick around? Are they all going to, you know, you know, find their specific roles and embrace them? You know, like Cameron Fletcher, I think is a guy that I'm rooting. All right. I'm going to be totally honest with you. There were a lot of rumblings about Cameron Fletcher leading up to his commitment in the time after his commitment that people don't think he's going to, he, people don't think he's going to make it at Kentucky. They think he's going to have his bags packed and be transferring out after a year. They, you know, people that have been kind of following his AAU career, followed his high school, high school career. He kind of, you know, he came from St. Louis. Um, you know, I, I did a long feature on him where, you know, he even said a lot of people where I'm from don't make it out. You know, he just, there, there's a lot of extra stuff going on that I am personally rooting like hell for with Cam Cameron Fletcher a lot more than some of these other kids, just because there, there are a lot of people doubting his long-term ability at, at a place like Kentucky. They think hey, he's going to transfer to St. Louis in, in a year. He's going to, he's going to be back home. He's going to go transfer to Mizzou. He's going to go to a smaller school with a lesser you know spotlight because he's not going to be able to handle that pressure. And, and so, you know, he's one of those guys that I'm personally kind of looking at, close you know closer than others because i know that there's already some surrounding buzz that this is a guy that's not going to make it and i just want you know i want to because i you know you look you watched him at pro day he did a lot of really impressive things he's strong his measurables are absolutely there i mean shoot he has a 30 set a team high 36 inch standing vertical or no step vertical and then you know i think he's second on the team behind Jacob Toppin and Max Vertical, pure athlete, strong, you know, athletic, fast, can, you know, solid shot that you, that you could work with. There are a lot of good things that you like, that you can like about, about Cameron Fletcher's game. Yeah, there, there is. And I think too, the thing with him that I think is hard to figure out and we may see this when he gets minutes is he, it feels like he's a little bit of a tweener. Like you just don't know exactly where he fits like, is he a perimeter player? Is he a post player? Because, I mean, he's what? He's listed at 6'5". Uh, uh, Wish shoes at 6'6 six, six and a half, I think. So, uh, I mean, that's that's Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston range, but he doesn't have the same skill set that those two do for the perimeter. So you saw him running with the post, you know, in some of those individual drills. So I think that's the thing. When, when you get a kid like that who's, who's not known for his jump shot, he's not known for his skill set with the ball and things, Jack, I think it's hard to kind of find your place. And that's why I think, you know, when you look at Dante Allen, the, the kid can stroke the thing, like he can shoot it. That's what helps him, in my opinion, if we're talking about these two players individually compared to one another. Sure, one is more athletic, has more, you know, a higher, you know, more bounce, uh, athleticism. But when you can play that position that Dante has and he can shoot it, you can kind of make up for some of those 
deficiencies. So I'm interested in too in watching what Fletcher does, and and I hope he, I hope they figure it out, and I hope he finds a place on this roster and in this program long term because I do think he could be a solid piece, and he will improve his skill set. But that's the first thing that stood out to me though is he was running with the fours and running with the bigs and. That's really not a that's not a body you really look at. He has the same body as Terrence Clark and BJ Boston, but he's on the yeah. other end of the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know talking to people inside the UK program, you know, after his there wasn't there was an excitement when he was ready to commit. I mean, it was very obvious that he was gonna commit about you know, two weeks before he officially made it public. He, you know, scheduled an official visit to Kentucky and that was kind of a he's coming to Lexington to announce his commitment. And there was a level of excitement around the program that, w- but it was more of a. We kind of hope we we hope you know we hope that this is what we think he could be. You know there there there's that level of uncertainty, just you know not in terms of physical ability and and you know some of the the outside stuff, but just because of the fits w- with the rest of the roster. Um, and, and you know I, I I personally like a lot of what I saw out of him. I think you know he's stronger than a lot of the you know ter- i think he's stronger than terrence clark he yeah. is he, they wanted him to be a small ball four type player yeah. um because i mean he 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 had he does a lot of things really really well but he's not great at anything and i think that that's that's, that's a very good point and that's where i think if he plays off and feeds off his energy and he rebounds and he becomes a lockdown defender, and then he works on his offensive skill set. You know, this year and over the coming years in this program, he could be a piece that you look at two years from now and think, "Man, we're you're really glad you have him." Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, I compare his. Think Kentucky fans think of of Cameron Fletcher the same way you thought of Khalil Whitney. Not don't think of top ten recruit Khalil Whitney. Think of what you saw out of him week three of his of his Kentucky career and I know there wasn't there weren't many weeks afterward but we knew very early that Khalil Whitney was not worthy of the top 10 recruiting status that he that he was kind of hyped up to be going into it but everybody looked at his situation and said dude if you just embrace your role as a lockdown perimeter defender just be out there be active get your hands out wide get low you know, deflect shots, block shots, just be that hyperactive, you know, no nonsense, high energy type guy on the defensive end of the floor, grab tough rebounds, be that type of guy. You will play and you will play a lot because, you know, he, the, you know, the putback dunks and the alley oops and the, you know, the kind of easy, you know, easy buckets. You know, Cameron Fletcher and Khalil Whitney, shoot, last year could have averaged six points a game, you know, four rebounds a game, and maybe, you know, a steal and a block game. Something something in that in that range. And I know he was wanting to, you know, you know, speed up his his process and, and it, things didn't go that way. But you can have those expectations that we hoped to get out of Khalil Whitney by, you know, mid season on by the end of the season. You can put those same expectations on Cameron Fletcher because they could be identical players in a good way. All the things that you liked about Khalil Whitney and kind of hoped he would become by the end of the year, I think Cameron Fletcher can give you that. And, and no, this this is a little off topic, but there were minutes there for Khalil Whitney last year if he had bought into the role and if everything had worked out. I, I think there were minutes. I think, honestly, he would have been getting uh, Johnny Juzang's minutes late in the year if he had bought into that role that you were talking about because there, there were minutes there for sure. But, I mean, it didn't work out. Uh, you know, hopefully Khalil... You know, finds a path. We'll find out tomorrow night, actually, exactly what that path is. Uh, but 
back on Cameron Fletcher, one more thing too. I, I just I hope that in a time where patience is hard to have mm-hmm. in any sport in collegiate athletics, heck for that let's talk professional. Like we see it all the time in the NBA and stuff with teams, you know, guys wanting to move. Uh, this would be a perfect spot, I think, that if Cameron Fletcher is patient, that I think he could find his his way and his uh, his spot in this program long term. Yeah, and early, like I mean, he's they not wouldn't have new- taken his commitment if they didn't think there was a spot for him at some right. point in this program. Right, and think of all the times Calipari begs, and that'll lead me to my next point with Lance Ware. Calipari begs begs over and over and over again give me toughness give me fight go grab a tough rebound go get a tough block go dive for a loose ball give me that tenacity give me that that next level you know commitment to to your role you know embrace who you are and you will play like if Khalil Whitney had not like you said if Khalil Whitney had embraced that he would have played twice as much as he ended up doing, but he, he decided that he wanted to float on the perimeter and jack up three pointers instead of actually, you know, filling that role that Kentucky desperately needed. And that's where I think Lance Ware fits in perfectly. He's a dude that, yes, he's not the fastest guy. He's, he's not going to jump the highest. He's not the most skilled offensively. He's pretty good defensively, but he's not, you know, Isaiah Jackson in terms of blocking shots. You know, he's one of those, again, one of those guys that's very good at a lot of things. He's going to give you, you know, insane effort he's a high motor guy that you know you know lives off of toughness but he's not great at anything and he's another one of those guys that he will 100 percent be able to come in and if he grabs a tough re- he's he's the type of guy that calipari would love tenant you know i i think he's the type of guy that that calipari would like to play over a guy like ej montgomery last year where ej montgomery yeah. would come in and and you know we had no other choice but to play EJ, but he was a guy that you couldn't rely on to get that tough rebound or that tough block or that tough, you know, loose ball or whatever. And there were a couple times that he ended up and we all cheered like hell for him because we, that's what we've been waiting on. But Lance Ware is going to provide that from day one. You will never question if you were to look down that bench and say, we need one thing right now. And that's somebody to play tough. We need somebody to fight for a loose ball, <laughs> fight for a rebound. You know exactly where your finger's pointing the first time. You, you know, he's you know a, Lance, where's that guy? He's a guy that I would have liked to have seen work with Kenny Payne. Oh, yeah. Because I think Kenny Payne would have had a field day with Lance Ware. When you just look at his frame, you look at his skill set, he's he's already one of the toughest guys on this roster. And he looks the part. And, you know, left-handed. I like that he's left-handed at that post spot. And uh, that's, the, that's the spot I'm watching this season, Jack, is uh, their post-development as we go along through the season. Because clearly, I mean, Kenny's not there. But we also know that Jay Lucas, surprisingly, for as small as his frame was as a player, <laughs> is very good with post players in development. Yep. And there's and there's a thing to it. You don't have to be a post player to develop good post players. Because post players, honestly, it starts with your feet. And what better to have than a, a guard, you know, understanding footwork and understanding how to move and how to move with the ball with those inside pivots and those front pivots and everything that they teach them when they face up and everything, get in when they get back into their post-ups. Uh, that's where I think, you know, Jay Lucas is honestly is destined to be a, a big-time college basketball head coach at some point because you've seen his development with bigs, and he's not even six foot tall himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, just you look, look from the top of the roster to the bottom, you know, looking at these measurements, looking at – and all this stuff. I mean, I was I was very, very, very impressed with what we saw at Pro Day, and and 
Um, you know, I think the immediate reactions are BJ Boston is as good as advertised. The buzz surrounding Isaiah Jackson is legitimate because he does a lot of things that, and we saw that with that, that, um, you know, that screen grab that we got from the, the Kentucky men's basketball Instagram oh account that they put out there uh, where, you know, there were, there were like four straight, four plays in a row. Isaiah Jackson doesn't block a shot. Kind of Willie Colley Steined it where he didn't block the shot, but he altered it enough to where, it might as well have counted as, counted as a block. He was just, you know, right. His hand was right in, I believe it was Davion Mintz that took the shot that he just had nowhere to go and, and had to kind of jack up kind of something, something stupid because he had Isaiah Jackson's hand right in his face. Um, and then he rim runs, get the rebound, you know, ran his ass off down the floor. Uh, I believe it was Terrence Clark that found him on, you know, on, on the sprint and just in transition, just, you know, just so quick boom 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 type play and it's just like yeah Whoa, he, that is why he's going to play a lot that's what that's what stood out to me too from the clip that you got is you know he he flies over he protects the rim they they get the long rebound and then he rim runs i mean he instantly you know sar cleaned up the miss and then jackson instantly knew okay one big's got the ball it's my job to rim run yeah. and he was down the floor in like very few strides like he was there and then Clark fired it up. I mean, that was the cool thing is we got to see, you know, that's just one small play of, you know, the really good plays that they got to see that night. Uh, two, I want to see how good these bigs are at passing the ball. I think that Sar is a has a chance to be a very good passer out of that spot. And the big-to-big passing is something, you know, Kentucky's been good at in the past when they've played, you know, two bigs together. So I, I'm excited to see exactly what this roster has and uh, how it all fits together. I will say this too. We all know that every one of these guys at some point, they're going to hit a low point. They're going to struggle. There's going to be a game where they don't play their best. There might be two games back-to-back where they don't play their best. We saw it with Tyrese Maxey last year. We've seen it with uh, Ashton Hagens. We've seen it with all these guys at some point. You know they're going to struggle, but they have so many pieces collectively, Jack, that that's the thing that at Kentucky – if you struggle, it doesn't get you. You don't notice it as much as you would somewhere else because there's always somebody else that's getting attention, you know, that's cleaning up the mistakes and things like that. And I think that this roster has plenty of pieces that they can get by if a guy struggles. I mean, what are the chances that BJ Boston and Terrence Clark are both going to be off on the same night? But you're also going to have a lot of nights where they're really good together, and that's yeah. going to be uh, just you know hell for the other team to pay. Yeah, yeah, and. In the off chance that they both have an off night, what are the chances that Olivier Saar is bad too? Or what are the chances that Isaiah Jackson is bad too? Or Keon Brooks? That's another guy. Keon Brooks, I feel like we're not even talking about him right now. Kind of been the forgotten guy in all this, and I kind of feel bad for him because he was the one guy when he returned announced his return that we were like, oh yes, we get one. You know, we at least get one guy that we feel confident in. You know, to to return and you know he's healthy and. You know, all that stuff, that, that was the one guy that we were looking at that said, okay, you know, he's going to be the stable force that we have on this roster. And I feel like he's kind of become the forgotten guy, and I don't think that's necessarily fair to him because I think he's it, going to be a pretty damn good player. You know, we've had this entire podcast going, and we've not really talked about him. Outside of that, I mentioned that I think that Jackson will start at that fourth spot, which isn't a bad thing because I think that Cal knows that he can trust Keon, and I think Keon's the type of kid that can accept if he's coming off the bench early this season. And, and Jack, we know he's going to be better than he was last year. I mean, we know that that's a normal thing with his progression. We don't even factored him into this yet. So that's the thing. Like, if all these parts are as good as what we expect them to be, and we know that somebody that we're building up is probably going to be – 
you know, a little less than what we think they're what we're expecting them to be. That's just normal. And then somebody's probably going to be better than we expect them to be. Right. Uh, but I think that Keon's a piece that I could see him and Mintz coming off the bench early, and I think that that's not a bad thing for Kentucky if you can bring in two veterans, two experienced players with all this youth and all this talent that you have. But I think that what you're going to find out is that Olivier Saar was just such a vital piece that yeah. they had to have. Oh, because now what you have is you have a guy that you can throw the ball to on the block. And Cal has said it, you know, if you don't have post player, then you don't have any, like you're, you're pretty much fake. Is that, is that how his quote went or something it, like that? It's, if you're you, a fraud. If you don't have a post presence, you're a fraud. Yeah, well, they have a post presence. And the thing that it's going to make it hard to stop this team because they can actually shoot the ball. I think this is going to be one of his better shooting teams across the board. You know, Boston's going to fill it up. Ask you can shoot it. I think Clark's going to knock his fair share down. Uh, we've seen those bigs step out and hit their shots. But the fact that they can throw the ball to Sar on the block, if you double, who are you doubling off of? I mean, you're going to get burned. And then, too, with those pick and rolls, what are you going to do? Like, if you decide to switch, Boston's taking somebody off the bounce, Clark's taking somebody off the bounce. If you switch, they're just going to post Sar. Like, I think yeah. that that's the thing that they're going to have, is they're just going to run that that offense, and they'll just pick apart whatever you decide to give them. Yeah, there's uh, there is plenty of, of reason to be excited for sure, and and we're gonna get. I mean, literally Friday night, we're gonna get another opportunity to see these guys in a virtual Big Blue Madness setting. We don't know what that means. They haven't released many details about it at all. Um, but we're. I mean, we're gonna. Have you get, got your cardboard cutout? I have not. Um, <laughs> I was actually gonna think we, we, we should we should get a, a group a, a group picture. We'll go all three of us, you, me, and David. Side by sources side, say. And, you know, the, the sources say lower, lower level. I mean, what? How much does it cost per, uh, like, one hundred seventy-five bucks per lower level spot or whatever? Not yeah. something. You know, we we the uh, you know unless we get a you know new fancy advertiser here in in the very near future, I think we we can only afford the upper level, um, no the nosebleed cardboard cutout. So. Just put me with an ice cream cone and you've got it made. <laughs> and, then, and when we cover games, we'll go take a picture with our picture. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. But yeah, we're, uh, um, I'm hoping that we get another legitimate scrimmage out of Big Blue Madness. I'd assume that we would. Um, you know, that's a little bit more advanced than what we got with Pro Day because Pro Day was such a, you know, kind of geared toward highlighting the highlighting their games for the pros not necessarily i could see them using i could see them using big blue madness in a different way than they have in the past just given that they don't have exhibitions i think that you could see some extended run that you don't typically see because most of the time that event is just don't get hurt i think this year that event could be let's play a little bit just because they're in rupp arena they're going to use that i think no it's in memorial sorry it's not in rupp arena but i think just getting that tv slot and everything and getting ready i think that they're going to use it a little differently than they have in the past yeah yeah i i i do think we'll get a pretty solid five on five scrimmage that would kind of you know be our makeshift blue white game i i wouldn't be shocked if they you know just because the the blue the big blue madness scrimmages are always get out of hand so quickly it you know after five minutes of actual competitive basketball it ends up being full court alley oops and you know just dunk 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 yeah just, yeah I mean, it just ends up being stupid after just a couple of minutes I have a feeling they'll be a, you know kind of pull the reins in a little bit and and 
give give fans more of what they're actually looking for in terms of what is this basketball team what can we actually you know expect out of them how excited should be all that stuff i think uh you know i'm personally hoping that it's it's the event that you know kind of everybody's making it out to be um all right well how do you want so I'll, I'll give you a list of options we you know kind of getting short on time i'll give you a list of options of how you want to end this NCAA tournament talk about how things you know, kind of announced today <laughs> signing day finishing up, you know, how the dynamic of that or the NBA draft that's set to, uh, Oh man. Go, go through tomorrow. I can't make three fast points on all three or three quick. You know what? Let's do it. it. Let's, let's, let's rapid fire all three of them. <laughs> all right. NCAA tournament NCAA announces today that they are not doing, you know, the 13 regional hosts with, you know, at the, their you know respective locations. It's going to be all centered in Indianapolis for, you know, kind yeah. of, and it's not going to be a big bubble event, but it's going to be kind of a, um, controlled environment event, I think is what they, it, it, it's the best decision. Event. Yeah. It's it's the best decision given a global pandemic if you want to play the NCAA tournament because the NCAA is in a situation to where you cannot eat that two consecutive years. You cannot lose that money. The only unfortunate thing, Jack, is these other cities that depend and that look forward to hosting those events and getting the income and revenue off of businesses and some of those businesses that look forward to the tournament, for instance, being in Jacksonville or something, they don't yeah. get to have that. But if we're talking about you know an area – Indianapolis has a lot of places. They have the EYBL facility that they use with the Pacers. They could play games there. You got the Pacers Arena. You could play at Lucas Oil Stadium. You could play at Butler. There's all kinds of places to play. I like it. Yeah, and I think we saw the NBA. We saw, um, you know, some of these other kind of how, yeah, the fan revenue is very important, and it's going to suck that we're missing that and, you know, all that stuff. But – we have at the end of the day, we have to declare a champion. We just have to figure out a way. And if that is the, you know, the main goal with all of this is we don't care how it happens. We just wanted to crown a champion the same way the NBA did. And I know there's a little bit more advanced and they had a little bit more pocket change laying around to, uh, you know, make a massive bubble happen, but they, you know, made a drastic decision based on hey we got to we got to crown a uh, crown a champion this year and i think that's what the NCAA decided with theirs was yeah it sucks that we're not going to be able to you know it, it, think of all the revenue for those 13 hosts and you know what it meant for each individual city Rupp Arena was going to be one of them um you know it, it meant a lot to each individual cities but i think it means more to crown a champion and i think they ended up valuing that over over everything and i think it's a, i think it's a great decision I do. I think it's a fantastic decision, honestly. I just think that it's the best decision possible, given the circumstances. And then you just hope that 21-22 is normal. And I, I think at some point we're going to get back to a sense of normalcy. And I, you know, hopefully we have a better grip on this thing once we get into 21. And then who knows what happens between now and March, you know, if a vaccine is made available. But uh, trans transition to, if you want to, to signing day since if you want to talk a little bit about sign day, cause we've not really talked a ton about that, but you well, have to love exactly, you know, what, what Cal did with this class. You have a point guard in it. You have a big man in it. And I think honestly, the most important piece of this class to this point is Damian Collins, mm -hmm. because I think you're starting to see the buzz around him, that he's going to be one of those guys that just takes off between now and when he arrives at Kentucky. And then you got a kid in Bryce Hopkins that uh, I actually compared him to 
he reminds me a little bit of Chuck Hayes, just with his body size, with his skill set. Like I actually, not saying he's going to be Chuck Hayes, but just the way he has to play. He doesn't really rely on on his athleticism, but he relies more on his fundamentals and his skill set and things like that. So uh, I really like this class, though, Jack. I think it was very key in a year like this to have at least three guys in the mold, and now you can kind of go out and fill out exactly what you want to do. I think the biggest thing, if they get Salas, you get the elite player, and then I think what you're going to see added to that is a shooter at some point, and then they'll fill the rest of it out via transfer or yep. grad transfer. And the, the, the big fish, the absolute cream of the crop guy that – Kentucky is still still going to fight for. Maybe they're a little bit more hesitant, but Jaden Hardy is a guy. Dude, he's so man. good. So good. Did, did you see him on national television the other yeah, night? So good. He is Bradley Beal 2.0, 100%. I, I will go to my grave saying that that is Bradley Beal 2.0. Hopefully we learn, you know, learn if he is 2.0 before I do go to my grave, but – you get what I'm saying. <laughs> he yeah, is. Don't, don't go to your gravy. <laughs> yeah, in the next two years, I guess, before he gets to the NBA. But you get what I'm saying. He's a dude that wired to score probably the best pure scoring guard in high school that I've seen in years. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen a guy as dynamic and just, you know, wired to score as Jaden Hardy is. And right now, if he were going to commit, it would be UCLA. And I think – as of right now, no matter who accepted, accepts his commitment, they're going to be fighting off the G League and they're going to be fighting off the professional ranks more than anybody. And I think that's part of the reason why Kentucky isn't in any real rush to mm-hmm. you know, push for a commitment from him because they would much rather him wait until the very last second and choose Kentucky over the G League as opposed to choose Kentucky now and then leave them at the altar at the end of the day and, and go straight to the needing a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have you have that insurance of Sky Clark too, if you need it. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about a reclass. That I think that's big too, that they have it to fall back on. Yeah. And I think I think the the guy that they do want to commit as soon as possible, and it's not going to happen during the early signing period, which ends tomorrow. Um, and that's uh, that's Hunter Salas. I, I confirm with his coach that he's not planning on making any type of commitment. Uh, he just cut his list down to eight. Kentucky's obviously included. I think Kentucky's this, in a very, very good Does spot. it surprise you a little bit, though, that he didn't pull the trigger in the fall, given that there's no visits? Because, you know, I thought that that was what he would be waiting on the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that there's not – well, I think a lot of do you think a lot of these kids are holding out hope that things do improve, that they can take visits. And he said, and he said that he said we're just playing. You know, he he came on this show and he said we're praying like heck that some sort of visit is you know in person recruiting. Even if you know, even if he has to pull a Bryce Hopkins and just drive on his own and go see a college campus by himself, what? he would much. I think he just wants to go and see a campus in person. Which I mean, I I, I get it. Um, he he even said something along the lines of, you know, you you don't know who these guys really are until you see them in person, until you go to a campus, until you you go to a um, you know, go go watch a game or whatever the case is. Well, think about this with this with this class before we move on to the NBA draft. None of these guys have none of these guys have met Cal face to face. You know, when it comes to you know committing and playing for them, like they're they're doing what we're doing right now with a Zoom call, and that's where you're seeing the blue bloods be the blue bloods though, because they're going off that name and what they've done, and I think that's why you're going to see. 
the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the powerhouse programs in college basketball, they're going to be okay. I think the ones to watch will be the the programs that, you know, you were seeing some guys go somewhere. If you didn't have a prior relationship with some of these coaches, I don't know why you'd go there. Like, honestly, I think you would go with what you know and what you what's in the record. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Damian Collins and John Calipari, I mean, at some point when they meet one another, it'll be the first time. And he's yeah. already signed and coming to Lexington. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think of that and I go, why couldn't they open a, you know, do a they get you know recruits get one you know a couple seats at a at a game where they have no contact with the you know with the players with the coaching staff whatever but they get their flight paid for like it's an unof- like it's an unofficial visit where they get their flight paid for they get their food paid for they'd be able to explore the city however they want you know how you know they they could there could be protocols included I guess or whatever. would be my guess would be the the risk of contracting COVID on that trip would be yeah. probably why it's not just given. But then again, you could have them sign a waiver. I don't know. Like there there needs. I'm sure a lot of these kids would take it. You know, well, take Hunter the Dallas risk of going. It. It's their future home. I mean, yeah. you want to go see. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you you build it up, but you you want to see where you're going to be staying. You want to look and see. Okay, and you get the feel like, do I want to be here? Do I want to be there? These kids. I think you're going to see it. Well, of course, you're going to see a lot of transfers in the next few years, just given the rule change. But I think you're going to see a lot of kids transfer out of this grouping of classes just because they didn't really get to experience. And there's going to be a lot of kids, honestly, I think unhappy, Jack. Not at Kentucky, but at places around college basketball and college football too. They'll get their first real recruitment. You know, They'll be able to go yeah. on actual visits the second time around if need be recruiting Um, doesn't stop on signing day in today's college sports world absolutely recruiting will continue but yeah yeah i think hunter salas is the guy that he's he's the realistic big fish i think he's the guy that if uk gets gets him they don't even really need to you know the the, Jaden hardy's a guy that he's like kate cunningham last year he's a guy that you take doesn't matter who's already on the roster who's reclassed if sky joins it doesn't matter what the roster looks like at that point He's a guy that you take his commitment and you enjoy it because he is a he is a pure pro through and through. But the next guy outside of that that is there, okay, he's our safety net. No matter what happens, we're going to be thrilled having an elite superstar talent is Hunter Salas. He's a guy that, that UK just has to lock up. I think they're in fantastic position. And I think the only reason why he didn't commit is just in the off chance that recruiting does open up at some point in the spring. I know right now it's can't, you know, in-person recruiting is canceled through January, or I believe through December at the earliest. Um, they have, I, they, I don't think they've made a decision past that point yet, but I mean, I think all indications are they're They're at least going to push it that, back a little bit. That didn't right. get extended to April. Did it through the, through the final four? I think there was something. I thought I saw something recently. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe you're right, and I'm I'm losing my marbles. Whatever the case is, which that I mean that would kind of throw a hole. There was something. There was something that I read from Jeff Goodman or John Rothstein one that said something about it had been extended through the final four. I don't know if that was visits or what. I don't. I can't remember. But I, maybe I need to go back and find that. That's been at least three weeks ago though. Hmm. Yeah, because that would be kind of fit. That kind of fit in that timeline. Because last time we talked to Hunter, he said, "I'm holding out hope. I'm not right now. I'm not planning on deciding in this in the fall, just because we are we as a family are are praying like heck that we get to see campuses in some form or fashion 
Uh, and I think that was really the only, um, you know, the only reason why he didn't make that announcement official um, in, in the fall. But I think as of right now, Kentucky's in a great spot. I think it's either going to be UK or North Carolina at the end of the day. But I think when it boils down to it, Kentucky is the firm leader at this point. And if, and if a de- decision were to come in the next couple of weeks, months, you know, month or two, uh, I definitely think Kentucky would be that choice and it would be a massive one. Um, you know, outside of those two, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They're going to look for one more, you know, shooter, a couple, you know, one or two more pieces assuming that you're going to get a Lance Ware back, you're going to get a Cameron Fletcher back, and you're going to get a Dante Allen back. But UK also has that, that you know, safety net of the transfer market and knowing that they could get anybody in college basketball next year that, that, that they want to. So they really don't need to overload the roster with high school seniors knowing that they're going to be able to get college freshmen, college sophomores, college juniors, grad transfers, whoever wants to come and be a part of this program, they will be able to get, um, you know, at this point next year. And I think it's going to be really exciting to kind of see the new, you know, the new dynamic of Kentucky being Kentucky will be able to recruit all of the best players in college basketball, not just, you know, not just grad transfers and not just high school seniors anymore. I think it's going to be kind of chaotic and messy there for a while, but uh, I think it's obviously going to be a, a huge net win for the, for the program at the end of the day. All right. We'll end it with this NBA draft uh, is tomorrow evening. It kind of appears that Tyrese Maxey is still flirting with that, that lottery level pick, you know, 13, 14 range that, you know, most of these, you know, mock drafts are kind of pegging him at. And then, you know, past that, Emmanuel quickly is ranging anywhere from that 35 to 50 range. Nick Richards is kind of, or I guess Ashton Higgins is next, you know, he's in that 45 to 60 range. And then Nick Richards is kind of in that 50 to 60 range or undrafted. Um, So that's, you know, I think the only guarantee right now is Tyrese Maxey in the mid first round and then Emmanuel quickly at some point in the second round. Outside of that, there's not, there's no guarantee that Ashton Hagen's Nick Richards, Khalil Whitney or EJ Montgomery are drafted. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch (laughs) too. I keep telling myself, man, we're having an NBA draft in November. It's it's great. It's crazy to think that we're, you know, at this point, but I, I think that, I want to see does Kentucky's bubble, like does the success in the bubble pay off and one of these teams, you know, take a chance on one of these UK guys given that they're coming from a program like UK? Uh, you know, what do some of these teams do that love Kentucky guys? You know, where does Tyrese Maxey fall? I think that Maxey could be a very successful player in the NBA. And I, I honestly think, though, the guy out of this class that we're going to be talking about that was kind of undervalued, I think, will be Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, I think that he's going to be an NBA player, just given the improvement that we we saw from him from one year to the next, and where the improvement was scoring the basketball. He shoots the basketball very well, Jack. There, there's a place for that in the NBA, and I think that you know does does Emmanuel quickly get drafted if he puts numbers up like that somewhere else other than Kentucky? I don't know. So I think that that's what you'll see. I just uh, I look for those two to get picked for sure, and then I I hope. I hope Nick Richards and Ashton Higgins do. I think Richards honestly has a better chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if nothing else, Nick Richards feels like the perfect prototype. I mean, Josh Harrelson got drafted. I mean, at some point you look at the end, you know, kind of the middle to the end of the second round is always the, eh, screw it. We'll, we'll take a shot on that. 
Because, you know, it's, it's one of those high value, maybe he pans out, maybe he doesn't. I mean, and Nick Richards feels like that perfect, maybe he pans out, maybe he doesn't guy that somebody is going to take a chance on. I mean, he's seven feet, you know, 245 pounds, long wingspan, you know, very active shot blocker you know, perfect rim running type guy, you know, the Tyson Chandlers of the world or shoot even what Willie Colley Stein's kind of the, his role has, has kind of been at the, at the NBA level, you know, where you, you know, your only job is to come in block shots and dunk the basketball. And I mean, there, there's a role for that person in college basketball and, and, you know, at the NBA ranks with, you know, most teams, most teams look for somebody like that. So I feel like somebody's going to take a shot on him in that 50 to 60 range. And I agree. I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm c- kind of curious about that Ashen Hagen situation as well, knowing that he is a very active disrupting defender. Does somebody take a chance on him hoping that he's the next Patrick Beverly or the next, you know, you know, high energy defensive guy that, that can really, you know, you know, separate himself and, and stand out on the defensive side of, you know, end of the floor. I, th- those are the two names I'm watching. And I, I just, I really don't see that there's any chance in hell that Khalil Whitney or EJ Montgomery get drafted. And I, you know, Khalil Whitney will sign with a, with somebody as an undrafted free agent. Somebody's going to take a chance on him. But uh, Sean, is there any chance that you see EJ Montgomery? You know, do you think he's even going to get a shot as an undrafted free agent? I, I don't. I don't. I just. I just don't see it. Uh, I mean, he's nowhere near the the top of the board. Uh, maybe if this were a normal year, Jack, I could see it with a summer league team or somebody taking a chance on him going into training camp. But in a spot where I just don't think that those options and those spots are going to be available, given you know COVID nineteen, the pandemic, are you going to bring in all these guys into your facility? I think you're going to know who you want. And I just think that that kind of hurts a guy, not only like EJ, I think it hurts a guy like Nate Sestina too, where you don't really have an opportunity to kind of work your way onto a roster. Uh, maybe a G League team. Maybe you see somewhere with EJ there, but making it to an NBA roster, I, I don't know about right now. What do you think? I, you know, I, I, I really just – I don't know. I, I don't see it. Um, I, I – I just don't, you know, you look at a guy like, you know, Derek Willis was a guy that we all knew that he wasn't getting drafted, but we could see Derek Willis as a, okay, he's six, nine, six, 10 range. And he can come in and knock down shots. And there's a reason that he kind of stuck in, you know, he kind of flirted with the NBA G league summer league. You know, he, he kind of hung around there for a little while before he realized that he can make more money going overseas. And he did that. Um, but you know, even Nate Sestina, you see him as a kind of same Derek Willis, mold where you know he can be a catch and shoot type guy he can make an impact on on some nba roster at some point but if not he's going to be making a ton of money overseas because he you know he has that you know has that type of game but you look at ej montgomery right now and i don't know what he brings to the table i really don't i don't know what he would bring to the table for any any nba team g league summer league or not i mean he just i mean yeah that's just i think that's going to go down as one of the most kind of baffling draft decisions we've seen of the Calipari era is, is what we got with, with EJ. I just, I just, to this day, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't either. And uh, I found about the dead period thing. So it was football recruiting was extended, you know, the dead period through April 15th, but I did read something where, you know, the basketball committee was thinking about, you know, recommending the same thing. So that's going to be something to watch. 
And, and if, if that does happen, I would, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, quicker decisions for a lot of guys. Cause if they're like, well, if I can't, you know, if I can't see a campus right now, what else am I going to learn about these schools that I haven't seen in a zoom call or a virtual visit right now? I mean, at this point, it's just going to be about developing more relationships and, you know, maybe they wait for after the high school season to end or whatever, but that's when I would see guys like Hunter Salas, you know, jump on a, a quicker decision than they anticipated or whatever the case is. I think that's, that's what it would boil down to. So, oh man, well, good episode. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate your presence and, uh, you know, all the awesome knowledge you brought to the table. And I'm looking forward to our post uh, Big Blue Madness slash, you know, season preview next week leading up to leading up to Wednesday. And and once we have some games to talk about, too, this this podcast is going to be even more, you know, fun to listen to and entertaining, I think, because then we're going to be able to dive into this thing. And I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to is just diving into this thing and talking situational basketball and talking about what we see because I think that's going to be the most fun is then we have stuff to look forward to and we can, you know, break down exactly what happened because I know that people are going to want to listen. I mean, we're all in this together, Jack. We've been waiting on you and I ended this season together last year in Florida (laughs) and we're going to start this bad boy together this year. Yep, on next Wednesday, Moorhead State, 6 p.m. Uh, we're obviously looking forward to that, and um, we're looking forward to you know keeping this show rolling. We're going to have David on for this Big Blue Madness, post-Big Blue Madness show. He's, he said that he'd be good for that but, you know, when he gets a little bit more free time on his hands. I miss him. David. I know I miss it. David when he's not on here. <laughs> I know. He, he always provides that, that perfect humor, you know, third, third, you know, part of this, this whole big, you know, equation that we have going on. He's, he's usually the, the, the good old funny one. We're just stupid basketball nerds. So that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Sean, where can fans find your work? Uh, you can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and you can follow me on Twitter at GBB country. You can find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. Read my stuff at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next week for another jam-packed Sources Day podcast. We will see you then.